Dear Brambling, it's your Uncle Luke here. Now, I hope you're having a lovely day today. I hope that you are you're finding some sort of excuse to treat yourself and love yourself today. You know, maybe you're snuggled up in a blanket with a hot beverage and you're just enjoying the tranquility. Maybe you're out for a nice little nature walk in the sunshine. Whatever you're doing today, I hope that you are treating yourself nicely. Today, however, on the podcast, I have an incredibly special guest. She is another one of my cousins, and her name is Kelsey Grazier. Kelsey is an extremely talented artist, She's also one of the most articulate people I know. She's also a teacher, and she's also deaf. Today, we are going to be talking about what her experience was like growing up with deafness, and what her experience is like now being a new mom, and um, what that whole experience has been like for her. And um, honestly, I'm just so honored that she came onto the podcast, and yeah, I got to talk with her, and it was actually such a great conversation, and I'm so excited to bring this to you. Now, I should also have you know that this podcast also marks the first day where I'm going to start posting to YouTube. Now, why am I going to be doing that? Well, YouTube has a very good closed captioning uh, system in place, and my goal is to try to be as inclusive as I can to anyone who might want to have access to the podcast. So, yeah, starting today, I'm going to be posting uh, all of the podcasts on Spotify as well as YouTube. Yeah, because I just want to be able to be inclusive to as many people as I can, including the deaf community. You'll be able to find all these podcasts on uh, the Hideout YouTube channel, and I'll be posting some links down in the description of this podcast. Um, but yeah, you know what? I, I, I don't really want to spoil anything else. I don't really want to drag this intro out for, for too long. So what I'm going to do is we're just going to jump right into that conversation, and we're going to learn a little bit about Kelsey Grazier. I really do hope you enjoy. see you. Welcome. How's it going? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Well, I just wanted to take a moment to just really thank you for being on the podcast and for answering some questions with me. And yeah, I like to usually just start off with every single entry with, um, would you be down to maybe tell me a little bit about your story? Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, with my story, how far back should I go? I um... as far back as you you feel comfortable going. You know, we you could, we could spend the whole whole time just talking about your story if you want. Hi. <laughs> well, my story often starts with me and my hearing. So mm-hmm. it often starts with explaining that I was two and a half when I was diagnosed with a hearing loss. And it was huge surprise for my family. And I'm one of 90% of children born to hearing parents. Wow. So only 10% of parents are deaf and they have a deaf child and they know what to do with their deaf child and how to communicate. Mm. So that means my parents had to learn how to be with the deaf child. Wow. And so they did. The best they could and they did a great job they got me hearing aids and they got support they enrolled me in mainstream school so i had hearing aids fm system to help me hear the teacher better and then when i was 24 i lost my hearing suddenly as wow. a surprise and i had to learn how to be deaf wow And so that was a big challenge because society and the systems it has doesn't allow for nuance within deafness. Mm. There's not a lot of support on the whole range of deafness. So in a way, I'm lucky to have experienced that whole range to know the different sides of deafness. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, 
I'm an artist and I love to travel. I've been to Europe many times. I've been to Bali, to South Africa, and I just really enjoy getting to know other cultures and hearing someone else's perspective. Wow. And um, I'm also a trained teacher for the deaf and hard of hearing. My gosh, you're just uh, so, you've got such a great story. Now for those maybe wondering, your mom and my dad are brother and sisters, so that makes us cousins. Yeah. And um, you are also a new mom as well. How's that been for you? Yeah, I had my son in the height of the second lockdown during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that was extremely challenging. Very, very difficult to uh, navigate being a new mom, all the changes that come along with that. And mm-hmm. also being deaf with the masks mm. created a lot of difficulty for me with going to appointments and hearing what the doctor was saying and the midwives. And um, many pe- people were very open and understanding with distance, but it was a time of great fear and we didn't have the vaccines yet. So mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was a difficult transition, but now he's two and I am at home with him while pursuing my art practice. Wow. Two is a lot of fun. Like he's just, just so happy and funny and silly. (laughs) I feel like we kind of made it through that now through to the other side, which is really cool. Right. That's so true. You know, you were mentioning a little bit about having to wear masks all the time during that pandemic. And yeah, I just got to say that during the pandemic working at Starbucks, I think I thought of you often, Kelsey. Um, I really did because I was like, okay, I really took for granted how much communication is reading lips and reading facial expressions and body language and, you know, seeing customer after customer after customer and can I get a grande latte? What kind of coffee you want? Sorry, I don't, right? But then kind of realizing that I have to like over accentuate a lot of my body language just to be heard with these masks over my mouth and nose so that I start to like lean in. What's that? Like really making it obvious or like, do you want whipped cream as I'm like making big circles with my hand here? And you know, what size do you want? And making like a little space between my fingers, medium, like small, medium, large, you know, these are the things that I felt like I had to do. And I really, I would think about you because I'm like, this must be a little taste, a little color of maybe what your everyday life is like. Yeah, I'm, I know I've had so many of those comments from people of going, oh my gosh, yeah, there's so much communication happening in our faces. There's so much connection in a smile mm-hmm. and that's just void. It's just gone when you cover up half of your face and you can smile with your eyes, but you can only communicate so much that way right Mm -hmm. and it's it must have been so helpful for your customers to have you gesture in that way it just makes communication so much easier Mm -hmm. but definitely was a huge huge challenge and it still is there's still masks aren't going away and um there are times where and this is me still navigating my deafness is my cochlear implant battery died while i was in the store and so I still had to communicate important information in the pharmacy Mm. and it was very difficult so I remembered oh yeah my phone has a text-to-speech so I pull that out and use that and explain why I'm using it but it's not a skill that many people know and you definitely learn through fumbling along the way Mm -hmm. but it would be really really nice if everyone had these basic amazing communicating skills yeah it's it's so difficult i i definitely found i had a lot of feelings of awkwardness and you know being the silly guy at starbucks using his whole body to communicate it felt silly and weird and i maybe noticed some of the eyes some of the eyebrows of some customers being like why are you talking to me like this And I had to take a a moment to just step back and be like, you know what, because I started doing this, and yes, even though it felt awkward and strange, 
rarely would I have people being like, what? Say that again? What? What? Communication was a lot clearer. And so I had to really ask myself, do I want to communicate with clarity or do I want to just hustle with my awkwardness? And I just chose awkwardness, like lean into it. And um, yeah, I still find myself do it, even though we don't have to wear masks. I think it just, it really does help with the whole package. Yeah, it helps so much. Well, two things I want to comment on that. The first, before I forget, there is a mask that has a viewing window in it and it's N95 compatible. Mm. It comes out of Ontario. It's called Hue Mask, H-U Mask. And you can see the person's lips through the mask. And so that is extremely helpful for better communication. And um, every time I wear it, I don't need it, but I wear it for advocacy so other people can learn about it. Mm. And the biggest comment is like, always, oh, it's so nice to see a smile or so nice to see your face behind a mask. Mm. And so maybe if more people knew about that, that would also help. The other thing about feeling awkward using your body and growing larger is um, actually something I'm working on with my art right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because I think North American society is a, a way of communicating that keeps us really small. Like with English, you use tone and intonation to convey what you're saying. But I I can think of other cultures that use gestures with their hands to convey what they're saying even more with more tone. Mm. One thing with using your body is that you're taking up space and you're actively participating in the environment around you. And that is really hard, especially if you've grown up as an introvert or as someone who is sensitive or someone who is just very in tune with the energy in the room, mm-hmm. it can be really difficult to take up that space. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That hit hard. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to just maybe dive right in and um, let's just uh, get going with this topic. But yeah, I wanted to ask you, you know, what does it mean to be seen and heard in your opinion? Well, it means acknowledging, it means presence. Mm. Presence, I think, is the biggest in Mm. this. Being with the person, being available and listening in order to be heard, you also need to reciprocate that back. Mm. You also need to be selective of who you're with and Mm. having the right audience and the right connections you're not going to be seen and heard by everybody and Mm -hmm. that's okay and I think learning that for me has been the hardest because I am a people pleaser (laughs) and so to be seen and heard also means to be valued Mm, wow hold on one more time you just say that one more time (laughs) (laughs) to be seen and heard is to be valued Dang, I love that. I really love that. That's so well said. You know, what comes to mind is, I I can't quote it perfectly, but I think it was something I read that Brene Brown once said is that I think her mom told her to not look away at someone who's in pain because when you're in pain, you'd want someone to look at you. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Brene Brown's so good. I know. She's so good. She just got the right things to say, right? Such a huge role model for me. But I think about that a lot, right? It's so easy for us to marginalize and other people who have experienced a lot of pain and maybe like visually outwardly, they scare us, right? It's so easy to use our language and our words to just try to sever any connection or compassion from other people. And I think that really just comes from the fact that we have a really hard time looking at ourselves. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Like something I remember someone saying is that if someone's pointing a finger at you, usually there's three fingers pointing back at them. For sure. Yeah. I've heard that before. And I think going inward is, is scary Mm -hmm. um, because you think you don't know what you're going to find. 
But then when you do, with the right support, I am a huge advocate for finding a counselor that you feel valued and seen and heard. And it takes a while to find the right one. But with that support, then you can go inward. You can help other people more when you have done that for yourself and held yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think like you can help other people, but also most importantly, I think you're more willing to help yourself. It's so funny when we talk about, say, compassion and we say it's like recognizing that everyone is made of strength and struggle and to take that perspective when you're looking at other people it's so much easier right to look at others and be like oh i see that you're made of strength and struggle but then you take that perspective internally and you realize that you are also someone (laughs) and maybe your relationship with yourself can be mirrored in that same way and uh to really help yourself like what do people say you got to fill your teacup first (laughs) yeah put the oxygen mask on yourself before anyone else that's something i really learned um becoming a parent Mm -hmm. that's what surprised me the most i think about being a parent is you are forced to look inward because you don't want to repeat the same patterns with your child and you want your child to have a great foundation Mm -hmm. so in order to do that you have to look at yourself and your own triggers yeah before anything and and it's hard work it's lifelong work and it's hard but it's so important Mm -hmm. I think speaking about or talking about that something that really comes to mind is inclusion right what do you know about inclusion it sounds like a random question I just asked but I have a reason. (laughs) (laughs) I know. For me, inclusion is, it really feels like a hot topic question or a hot topic word. Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot about inclusion and exclusion, but I I see it differently than maybe the average person. Mm. And I think my views of inclusion are maybe not the typical views. Are you comfortable sharing maybe a few of those views with me? Yeah, sure. So like, I think some people say inclusion means everyone needs to be in the room Mm. and everyone needs to be available to be there. But if I'm in the room with everyone and it's all the same, Mm. I'm not included just by the fact of being there right? because I can't hear with the music on and the TV on and all the people talking at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's different layers of inclusion. Um, Another example is uh, the idea of a child being mainstreamed in school who is hard of hearing or deaf. They are being included in school by the fact of being there, Mm -hmm. but they may not be accessing the lessons, the language through their friends or peers. Um, They may not be having the same level of experience as their peers. So Mm -hmm. it looks like inclusion to a hearing person, but to a deaf person, it's not. Mm. Full inclusion for a deaf person would be at a school for the deaf with perhaps sign language, with amplification, with a building that is designed for deafness Mm. with rounded hallways and mirrors everywhere so you can see reflections and that would be inclusion for that person wow but that would be exclusion for a hearing person Mm. who doesn't understand language Mm -hmm. wow my heart's just like feeling electricity after hearing that and another cat's come to say hi hello (laughs) yeah This one's a black fluffy cat and his name is Dasher and we got him in December. So that's really fitting. That's so cute. So tell me what are your thoughts on inclusion? Yeah, I remember learning a little bit about this when studying to be an EA and um, an example that really hit home for me. I wish I remembered the, uh, the name of the researcher, but there was this one day where she had an EA had a bunch of uh, students 
uh, that she was looking after and there was a prep rally happening in the school and she really just wanted everyone to experience what the the pep rally was like and so she just decided okay everyone grab your noise canceling headphones grab your stimming toys grab your anything and everything and we're gonna go to the pep rally and we're just gonna be included and we're gonna have fun and almost all of her students started to break down like emotionally and uh, she's like why i don't understand what's going on like let's go have some fun it'll be great and one really brave student went up to her and just said like you know half of us have autism right you you know like half of us are really sensitive to loud sounds and cheering and it's very uncomfortable and that's so great right it was in that moment that uh the ea then realized that true inclusion requires choice right they have to feel free to choose what they want that's best for them and uh if you're only forcing them to do things it's not actual inclusion right they actually probably will feel excluded or um not seen seen. unheard right and uh by your definition as well that you said unvalued right and so inclusion I think is really important for me and in my heart because you know if I'm someone who values connection and compassion then I need to recognize that not everyone's going to appreciate the things that I can offer or appreciate the environments that I want others to you know spend time and connect with me in maybe I need to meet them where they're at in terms of you know connection emotion and all of that Something that was coming to mind a little bit too about your example of, you know, a deaf or hard of hearing person going into a school made for people who are hearing, it really made me think about integration, right? And integration can be a really great thing. And I think it's a really great step towards inclusion. But I think your example really highlighted how it's not exactly enough yet. A great way to to picture it is like a bottle full of green jelly beans and then inside that bottle there is a another bottle with like maybe very few red jelly beans and then yes they are in still that same bottle but they are treated as separate and different right yeah yeah absolutely i think the best thing anyone can do is ask what do you need Mm. and how can i support you Mm. um instead of assuming absolutely wow oh Well, um, another thing I I was curious to ask, but if you're comfortable sharing, has there been a time in your life where maybe you felt really excluded? Is, are you willing to maybe share a moment like that or? Absolutely. I think that's a question many hearing people are curious about Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to share. I honestly didn't often feel purposefully excluded until I became an adult and lost my hearing. Mm. Often when I was younger, the exclusion was, and still is often unintentional, people forget. Mm. So people forget, and advocacy is a huge important part of my life, but it can feel really exhausting. So when I was younger, it would layer up over a long period of time because I did have quite decent hearing with my hearing aids, I was functioning like a hearing person. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for someone to forget. For example, not leaving the closed captions on the TVs when I walk in the room and there's something on the news that everyone's exclaiming over. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting that information because there's no captions on automatically mm-hmm. or it's not left on. That's a small book like version of exclusion Mm -hmm. one that's very popular (laughs) amongst deaf and hard of hearing people it's a very common experience is the term oh never mind oh everyone you're sitting around a table and everyone's laughing at a joke and oh i missed i missed the beginning of that joke what was it oh i'll tell you later and then it never gets told later later never happens Mm. So those moments like those build up and my cup would be getting towards the brim and then start overflowing. And then I would cry and release that pain. Mm. 
and then the cup would feel better again. It's like a slow burn, those those types of exclusion. But when I lost my hearing and became fully deaf, then the exclusion was another layer because I didn't have access to the sound in the world around me. I didn't have an option for hearing aids. Mm -hmm. I also had tinnitus, which is ringing. And for me, it sounded like those red, old red fire alarms. Oh, geez. That's 24-7 on blast and radio static. Oh, God. So that was really difficult. So that layer of exclusion was also me learning how to navigate being deaf in the hearing world on a different level. Mm-hmm. And so that exclusion would look like more systematic and more the environment around me is not built for my needs. Wow. Yeah, I, I've heard um, I've heard some stories of people who are deaf going into, say, like a fast food joint. And they're really trying to ask, like, can I please write something down? Can I use my phone? And the employees just not believing them. And then actually telling them to leave because they think it's a prank. You know, these are moments in my mind where I'm just like, what the heck, world? What's going on? (laughs) That's not very fair at all. No, I've seen us too. It's awful. There's just a huge lack of education Mm. on what it means to be deaf. And there's so many different layers of deafness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people just don't realize the difficulty because they haven't experienced it. Mm. And if someone were to go out into their daily tasks with earplugs in, I think they would be in for a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I was also just now getting reminded of a definition of empathy that Brene Brown once said, it was empathy is not walking a mile in someone else's shoes. It's hearing someone's story and believing it. I think what's often misunderstood is that, you know, we can take our perspective off and like wear someone else's, but that's just completely impossible. You know, our perspective is grafted to us. It's not coming off, right? And so I think the best thing that we can do is just hear someone's story and just believe them. And maybe that's just all they really need in that moment. Yeah, that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. That just, again, that relates back to what you had said earlier, to be seen and heard, mm-hmm. to be believed. Yes. Looking at that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I, something I've kind of been realizing uh, as I do a lot of editing of this podcast I talk about language a lot. And so um, I guess, you know, what I'm curious about is like, how has learning sign language been for you? What's it? What's the culture like in the signing community? How do you treat each other? Is it a little bit different than in the verbal community? Does that make sense what I'm asking? (laughs) Yeah, it does. I think also there's just with popular culture, there's been some movies that have come out and videos and this divide between cochlear implants and sign language Mm. might be informing your your question too and um i have never had full access to sign language Mm. in my life because when i was growing up the culture that i was in the school system the family system there was no need for sign because I could hear Mm. enough and I we don't have anyone else in our immediate family who is deaf who knows sign and that could pass it on down to me Mm. my mom and dad signed a little bit when I was diagnosed um, as support so that would be signed exact English Mm. and so that looks like using English spoken language and adding in some signed words here and there for support. Mm, Okay. But it was never for American sign language. And I had, I had some access to sign language when I was in high school with 
just my own curiosity of taking a course with a deaf instructor. And to be really honest, I often felt because of my hearing levels, I don't need sign Mm -hmm. because I can hear. And so I realize now looking back that that was what society has told me. Mm, Wow. (laughs) There's not a lot of access to sign. There's, there's not a lot of social and society structures in place to support um, fully signing people. There's, there used to be deaf clubs, mm-hmm. and those would be places where deaf and hard of hearing people can go for community, mm-hmm. and it was a literal location. And you would go to meet, to connect, to feel at home and comfortable with other people who can sign. And those closed down in a, probably the last ones were in the 50s, I want to say, 50s, maybe 60s. But with the change of information with newspapers and then now social media, there's less of a need for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's still so much need because I call deaf people and deaf culture a culture without a country. Oh, wow. So there's nothing, there's no land to unify deaf people. Mm-hmm. There are some places that have a huge concentration of deaf people in the world, but not many. When I, I was 24 when I lost my hearing and I was doing my master's in deaf education at the same time. Mm. So I was studying deafness while I became deaf. Wow. Which was very trippy yeah to be honest (laughs) and it has informed so much of what I know now which is it was good timing in a sense um, because the class had other deaf classmates and they had sign language interpreters there Mm -hmm. and there was also captioning there was full access so I was able to immerse myself in that way and, and learn sign and when I went on to do teaching I was in most environments where people did know sign. So I was able to pick it up more as well as spoken language still. Mm-hmm. I would say there's been a shift in how deaf people think about um, sign language and cochlear implants. Mm. And there's been a much more inclusive idea of like, hey, we're all in the same spectrum, we're all on the same side, and let's support each other, mm-hmm. because that's the only way that we're going to have a louder voice, so to speak, Wow. and be able to advocate. So I've really seen a movement of support, which has been really cool. That is very cool. Kelsey Grazier is a deaf visual artist whose practice engages with painting, drawing, and installation art. She communicates the complexities of deaf identity and cultural histories with a desire to understand and express the contrast of the isolation and beauty in deafness. Kelsey holds a degree in fine arts from Emily Carr University and a master's in deaf education from the University of British Columbia. She works out of her art studio in Vancouver, BC. If you are in the Vernon area and you are curious to check out some of Kelsey's art, feel free to go to the Vernon Public Art Gallery where you can check out her art exhibit called Unstoried Self. Her exhibit will be there until March 8th. Also, on February 24th at 7pm, you can go to the Beaumont Studios there in Vancouver, BC to join Kelsey for the opening of her art exhibit there as well. If you are also curious to check out some more of Kelsey's art, feel free to visit her at www.kelseygrazier.com. So I was, uh, what is it? What's the word? Peering 
stalking your Instagram feed at Kelsey Grazier. And uh, when there's a, a picture that you posted that really stood out to me, I didn't quite know what it was until I took a really closer look at the post and at the picture, but it was a, uh, a picture of a crumpled up piece of paper. And then written on that piece of paper was, what sound or sounds did you miss the most after you lost your hearing? And um, I wanted to take a minute to talk about this just because as I started, like, just, I don't know, reading what you had to say, and then really thinking about what this uh, photograph and the process and the ideas and how you maybe came to it. I was trying to just trying to put myself in that position and a lot of things started coming up. Um, I kind of, I took a minute to write down what I was thinking. Um, is it okay if I share with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what I wrote is um, the artist in me sees this piece almost like a treasure map that was recently found inside an ancient relic. I've been watching a lot of uh, National Treasure again and Disney Plus just released like a sequel and I just got really revved up in that like mysticism and the uh, that on reverence feeling that you get when the treasure hunter finds that clue. You know, I kind of had that feeling um, immediately and then I read the message and then immediately I felt this like profound sense of grief afterwards. And it's a texture of grief that I'm not sure I'll ever understand unless, you know, something like losing my hearing or losing a sense that I really take for granted, unless that ever happens in my life, I don't think I'll ever understand. And uh, as I was writing my little paragraph here, I started thinking about the sounds of maybe crumpling up that piece of paper. And I started thinking about the sound of the pen gliding on the piece of paper. And then also that quick, subtle sound of like your hand moving across the page and it's like the skin on the paper. I, I was like, I was starting to think about that. And then I started thinking about how that would all just be gone. And, you know, I had this, uh, a, a lot of grief <laughs> of just realizing that I could lose that. And so I realized that all these little things that I'm thinking about are like little auditory treasures that we really do take for granted. So yeah, I thought I'd share. That was beautiful. That is so beautiful and profound. I want to say thank you for sharing that because that's really beautiful. That's to think that something that I did can send so many messages to you and, and have you think so deeply. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. I appreciate your sincerity. That's wow. Yeah. The fact that you picked up on grief, mm -hmm. I think for me is a, a big piece of that do you want to know what that paper came from yeah i would love to know some of the story it's um it's something that i do when i do an artist talk or public speaking i try and engage the audience by giving them all a piece of paper and then having them write an anonymous question on it and by having it be anonymous there's no there's no silly questions and these are often like what comes out are questions that people are too scared to ask to your face, which is really interesting. And I, um, I have them crumple it up and then throw it to the front of the room, which is why it's crumpled. Okay. Everything is totally by accident, but what you're reading into it makes so much sense. So um, I think that's really neat. But the, the question comes from me talking about my grief. Mm. And I share my life story and it was a profound sense of grief because I knew what was before is different than what is now and wow. I can't go back. And so there was a good few years where I didn't have any hearing and all I had was tinnitus, which is a really awful ringing and it doesn't stop and you can't get away from it. And so I think that question is really powerful because I did miss a lot of sounds and the sounds that I missed were just like little sweet ones because I could hear slightly if things were very close to me. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was the subtle things like um, hearing a bird tweet 
in yeah. a bush close by or I was living in a houseboat at the time so like having the waves lap on the dock or there's a lot of like sounds that were that give you so much information to what your surroundings are and mm-hmm. having that absence was really difficult to make sense of where I was so then your your way of being shifts so I was a more visual person and a more visual way of being and using my eyes as I did before but even more so now yeah my eyes telling me um through other things what I'm hearing like um the cat turning and twitching their ears because they heard something Mm. um, someone walking to the door for example Mm -hmm. Um, or the seeing the dog get up and bark or lights lights are huge the light flashing okay I really um I missed out on a lot the grief the grief was was deep Mm -hmm. and it was a tough time it was a challenging time because you know what you're missing and that I think is the hardest thing because when I grew up with a hearing loss I didn't know anything else that was who I was and that was my reality Mm -hmm. it was wonderful it was fine but it it was only the moment that it shifted where I felt the loss yes that's really important to know because so many people with who are born with a disability that is who they are that's totally okay but then there's many many people who have that before and after and that that shift I think that's where um that's where you can get into the sympathy Mm. part or like the pity part Mm, mm. the people who are born with a disability don't feel that pity or that difficulty in a sense wow yeah it's um it's funny you you know grief is something that I feel like I'm just so accustomed to associating with death and you know, recently I, I've really picked up on that grief is actually more so the emotion of loss and it could be a loss of anything. And when I really was able to broaden the brush strokes for that word, it really helped me gather up a lot of other moments in my life where I felt a lot of loss and even like the really small ones. Like for me, you know, growing up, I was always really attached to Pokemon and I remember one day my friend decided to grab my game and he started a new game and erased everything. And I remember just feeling so upset by this because, you know, all of my little creatures that I got to essentially watch grow and catch and they, they protected me and, and I got to use my imagination to go on uh, adventures with, they're all gone with no purpose, rhyme or reason, no uh, farewell, no actual death, you know, something, I had no place to put my love, if that makes any sense. So I remember going to my mom and I'm just like, he erased my game, I don't know what to do. And she just put her hand on her shoulder and she didn't really understand. And she just said, it's just a game, Luke. Like there's worse things to, there's bigger fish to fry, you know what I mean? And I felt really unseen in that moment. I felt really misunderstood. And I think I grew kind of hardened from that whole thing. And I, I I really started to just develop this bitterness towards like minor losses and when people start to feel upset for it. And when I started really ju- diving into the word grief and really starting to get it, it just really just broke that uh, hardened shell. and. Now I just realized that there's so much loss in almost everything that we do in life. You know, sometimes I would even think about going on little road trips uh, to see my friend who erased my game. Um, And they lived all the way in uh, Kelowna. And, you know, I remember arriving at their house and feeling so excited. But then at the back of my mind, there's this itching, gnawing feeling like you're only here for two days. You're going to have to say goodbye again. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'm sorry friend did that. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's definitely crossing a boundary. 
right? Mm -hmm. And when you're a kid, you don't really have a way to articulate, A, that wasn't okay to do. And then again, on your mom to not recognize how important this was to you. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. For me, that's a type of grief that I think about a lot that just to really put into perspective for me, the amount of kinds of losses that one can go through during their lifetime. And even though it seems small, it can still feel so heavy. And um, even though my little small moment of grief still sticks with me, I really empathize with the type of grief you probably went through. And I, I, I try to imagine, and it's really scary for me to try to imagine that. So, you know, I commend you for going through so much. That's incredible. You don't really have a choice, right? Like that's how life is. Grief and loss is a part of life. It's just how we, how we manage it and also just how we sit with it as well. Mm -hmm. So part of my, my journey was to learn uh, mindfulness and self-compassion oh. and uh, meditation. And that has been so helpful with the loss and the grief part, but, but also just the, that presence piece of, yeah, this is hard, but to feel those emotions is important too. Yes. I don't remember where I read this, but apparently the people who are the most joyful are the ones with the strongest gratitude practice. And this really resonates with me because I feel as though true, authentic gratitude comes from recognizing what it actually means to lose something. You can't really get it until something you really care about is gone, right? And I would really like that you said that you don't have a choice. I think that is really well articulating what the pain really feels like. Right? To not have that choice, to get it ripped away, to not have any agency or control, that is so painful. That's true. No choice in, in what happened, but you can choose in how you respond, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is so hard. So, so hard. Mm -hmm. Well, especially when we're in the society that really focuses on the positive. We, we live in the society where a lot of people just like, let's be happy. Let's love life let's you know joy and this and that which i think is invertibly teaching us to choose happiness over honesty with ourselves yeah i think um i yeah i totally see what you mean by just glossing over like oh i shouldn't be feeling this way i should be feeling sad mm -hmm. i should be happy but in order to be happy you have to process the sadness. Mm -hmm. Now I was uh, noticing that you're talking about how when you lost your hearing, you got very visual. And I can't help but to think that you as an artist now probably really honed into that and used it as your way to communicate with everyone and anyone. So, you know, I, I was just curious if you want to like, tell me a little bit more about that or what's what's your art been meaning to you these days yeah totally has informed where I'm at and having a difficult life experience or a few difficult life experiences definitely can change your path mm -hmm. and um I did go to art school I went to Emily Carr and after that I went on to education and I didn't think I was going to be a typical artist although I wanted to be. I didn't feel like I had a lot of access to that world because it's often um, difficult to communicate in. Mm -hmm. But then when I lost my the rest of my hearing, I figured, well, I needed something to process the, the tinnitus, which is really, really difficult yeah. to live through. So speaking of meditation, I went back to my art and started doing these white lines over and over and over, mm. which became very meditative as a way to focus on something outside of myself. Yeah. And um, from that, it just kind of morphed into going back to painting. And the work that I'm doing now is quite different from what I was doing uh, when I 
lost my hearing, it's still centered around the idea of deafness and my experience through that process. And so I'm actually having my first solo show coming up and it's in Vernon at the Vernon Public Art Gallery. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah, when's that gonna happen? It's possible when this airs, it's already had happened, but I'm just curious. It's gonna be um, January 12th. Okay. We open, that will be the opening night and then it's up until March. Oh my gosh, wow. So are you gonna be in Vernon for like a month and a half? Is that what's happening or? Um, no, I'll be there for, there and back um, okay. within two weeks, the two weeks. Yeah, it's difficult with a toddler. So I'll go there, uh, go there to set up, come back, and then we'll go back as a family for the opening. Wow, that's so incredible. Yeah, no, when I, uh, when, when I was stalking your Facebook page, I, I really noticed that, uh, not Facebook, sorry, Instagram. I really noticed that there was like a pattern between your art where you use a lot of like these soft muted neutral colors and then like a bold line of color or like a streak or um, something kind of moving through. And I just wonder, it, th this is probably what you were talking about, that healing meditative process you were going through, but I'm also curious if there's any like intentionality towards the you know the choice of colors and the choice of lines and is there any significance towards that or am I just reading too much into things no for sure <laughs> there's significance yeah it's I mean there's intentionality behind the choices of color and the materials I'm using mm. and what I'm painting on but then when I go to create it's gestural and intuitive mm. And um, so it's definitely coming from within when I'm making the marks that I'm making. Mm -hmm. um, but the color choices, to answer your question, are very calm to reflect the opposite and what's going on in my head with oh. the tears. So I'm trying to recreate this, this different world where it feels peaceful. I'm, I'm looking towards the peace and the, mm. the tranquility and the calm and especially with the previous work that you do see on on Instagram or on my website the work that I'm doing now is shifting a bit and um, it's larger and mm. uh, to take up that space and to be able to have bigger gestures mm. and also moving towards photography and um, installation art too. Wow. Oh, that's so exciting. When, when I kind of look at it, I just really think like, I mean, I was picking up on what you were saying is, you know, you became a very visual person. Your, your eyes were always at work. And when, when I kind of see a lot of your work, I really feel definitely calm and relaxed and tranquil, but I almost feel like you give my eyes a break. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that little gift that you're giving me being like, here, you've been working so hard, Luke. <laughs> Here's something just really soft and kind and nice to look at and maybe relaxing. Just give your eyes a break, right? And I, I just can't help but to think that, you know, someone who lives in, in a deaf world, their eyes are just always hypervigilant, right? Probably working so much. Yeah, that this is probably like a very kind thing for someone who is deaf to look at your art and just be like, she gets it. This is what I want to look at. Hopefully. I Hopefully. love the interpretation of that. That is so, <laughs> so great. Because yeah, I, I actually never thought of it that way, but it's so true. <laughs> mm, wow. I'm glad I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think I haven't really spoken to you about how I really feel about your art, but these are the things that come up for me. And also I just find it so easy to just find significance, maybe because you're my cousin and I, I got to know a lot more of your story a little more closely, but I just feel like I get it. I don't know. I, I'm not yeah. trying to, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like I, I understand something that you're trying to say and it's really important to me. So thank you for saying that. I love I love when you said it gives your 
eyes to break. Like hearing you say that about my work means a lot. Aw, you're welcome. It's true. So I was just wondering if, uh, would you be down to do a quick little rapid fire to tie things up? For sure. Yeah. yeah? Okay. What is your favorite meal? My favorite meal would be pad thai. Mm. Is it from like a special certain restaurant or? I am picky about my pad thai. The, I would say the best restaurant is in Vancouver um, on Main Street called Sawasti Thai. Ooh, okay. It's wow. this cute little outside. It's like bright green and okay. it's, you know, all these shops. And um, that's probably the best Thai food I've ever had. Oh my gosh. I love Thai food. Oh, so good. Do you have a favorite movie or TV show or both? Hmm. I, well, I don't Hmm. have a favorite movie or TV show. There's things that I recycle and watch over and over. But one thing I learned about myself since finding my partner is that growing up I didn't have access to a lot of tv shows and movies because there's no closed captions so he'll be able to say different quotes and I'll have no idea where they're from but also that I just don't attach myself to popular culture in that way so to have to say like this is my absolute favorite like in high school I love to watch friends but I haven't watched it in a really, really long time. And I wouldn't say that that's like my absolute favorite. Or another move, a movie that I do enjoy is the potato, oh, where are they? See, I can't even remember. Potato Pie Peel Society on the island of Guernsey. Uh, I, that's okay. not the title, but it's on <laughs> Netflix. Okay. And it's about this, it's during the war and they're on this small island and this woman is a writer. She writes a book and then this, they had to, they were occupied by the Nazis and they had to mm-hmm. come up with that, a group and they formed a book club on this island and this woman in the States wrote this book that they read about in their little book club. And then it's, it's a cute little love story, but I've watched that one many, many times. So you could say that's a favorite. Okay. And the reason they're called that is because they were like, they had a party and they're not allowed to have parties and they were stumbling down the street and then the Nazis found them and said, hey, you're not allowed to gather. You're not allowed to get together. Mm -hmm. And they they lied and they said, oh, we were um, doing a a book club. And they're like, oh, what's the name of your book club? So then they had to come up with a really silly name and it was um, the Potato Peel Pie Society. Oh my gosh. Okay. It makes sense now. <laughs> That's so cute. I love that. Okay. Okay. I, I feel like I want to go watch that now. <laughs> Aw. Do you have a favorite singer or band or genre of music? This is actually an interesting one. I'm, I'm curious if this is, uh, yeah. Do you have one? I do. You know, I have to say I I love Taylor Swift. I love that. I think that she is a really crafty songwriter and she's mm-hmm. able to weave in these stories. I think that creativity is just really broadly creative as well as being talented. Mm. And then for genre of music, I like most genres that I can hear some of the words after oh. listening to the song a few times so and there's nothing I don't like like there's lots of rap that I could say oh I hate that but there's the reason I don't like to listen to it is because I can't hear what they're saying yes and like I like a range of things from blues to pop to even just listening to like classical music yeah now that I have my cochlear implant again, I try and listen to a range of music just to help listen to things again. When I was younger, I listened to a lot of country and not so much now, but I remember when I first got my cochlear implant, I listened to a song and I could hear it in a different way. And 
I could hear the words and the voices in a better way than I could before. Wow. And it was really powerful. I was I was crying listening to that. Really? Do you remember what song that was or? Mm, no, it was no. a whole CD. It was just like, I just kept, I was just eating it up like one after another after another. And wow. it was just a, a mix CD I made in high school. Oh, wow. So a little, uh, a little time capsule. Totally. Yeah. Wow. And to like re-experience all that music through almost quite literally different years. That's really incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. Wow. What does vulnerability mean to you? Mm, vulnerability means being honest and allowing yourself to be selective. So mm. being selective who you're vulnerable with. Mm -hmm. So vulnerability can mean what's the, I can't think of the word being, I guess being selective and then also just like another word for reserved. Mm. Cautious or sharing, sharing, but not oversharing. Mm. Yeah. So for like one to have the right audience that, like you said before, can value you and, and see you, but then um, vulnerability is, is hard to do, but it, yeah, it means a lot to me because that's part of my life's work is to share my story, mm. but then that requires me to be vulnerable. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm starting to what you're saying. I'm starting to really feel that too, especially with this project that I'm working on. My God, the amount of thoughts I have in my head of being like, I just, I should just stop. I shouldn't do this. Why the heck am I doing this? I, you know, catastrophizing the comments that could potentially happen. Also like, you know, just, it's, it's very close. It's a very close thing. It's, it's my family. It's my brother, sister-in-law and my nephew. And, uh, but I also have to say, being an artist, when you are vulnerable and when you do share, that's when it's the most powerful and then you reach the people you are meant to reach. Yeah. So without vulnerability, you wouldn't have any of that and you wouldn't have any connection. Absolutely. So what you're doing is important. I think so. I really think so. And, you know, you know you're just making me think about um, the project my dad's working on where he's uncovering our um, grandpa's old films and old audio of him. And recently he posted it on a private family Facebook group. And everyone that was involved with it, suddenly they started flooding him with all these comments and memories and Apparently one of our relatives had never been on camera or film before. She didn't know she was, and there was no pictures of her. I don't remember which family member, but I'll, I'll leave that out. But apparently uh, in the, the film that my dad uncovered, there she was as like a young child and she'd never seen that before. Wow, right? that's incredible. And um, I just kind of, I can't help but to think that something that we're doing right now is like another type of time capsule, another little memory to go down and uh, preserve our family. So cool. <laughs> That's so cool, Luke. Right? So because it's me, and because I have to ask, do you have a favorite Pokemon? Well, I would say I gravitated towards Pikachu. Yeah. But I cannot tell you why. That's okay. Because... I don't know Pokemon very well. That's fine. I know Pikachu's so cute. I feel like he's a lot of people's favorites. Just, you know, a cute little mouse with rosy red cheeks and <laughs> yeah. has electric powers and has a really cute voice and a great personality. Well, thanks for sharing that. But finally, and I think it's kind of an important question, do you have any advice or lessons that you want to share to the next generation to anything you want to say and put as a little time capsule? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hmm. That it's okay to follow your heart. Hmm. And by following your heart and your instincts that you, your ideas that come to you will be yours and your own. And that, that will create impact and change in itself if you just fully embrace that and 
and be who you are meant to be. Wow. Well, thank you. Oh, that's so special. Ah, oh, well, is there any um any uh, place where people could maybe reach you at? Anything you'd want to share in that regard? Um, yeah, sure. I I have Instagram, like you mentioned. That's at Kelsey Grazier, K-E-L-S-I-E, G-R-A-Z-I-E-R. If we're talking about time capsule, then maybe that Instagram won't exist in a while. Uh, there's also my website, www.kelseygrazier.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. I really, I really do appreciate you being on the show. And yeah, I, I would love to have you back on if you want to talk about anything else. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. You're such a joy to talk to. Oh, thank you. <laughs> conversation with uh, my cousin Kelsey Grazier. I really hope that this conversation really helps you open your eyes and your ears to what reality is like for those who are deaf. And um, I hope that maybe going forward, you will have your heart open to humanizing those who maybe are a little bit different than you. Now, for those who are wondering, I did actually look up the uh, researcher that I mentioned in this podcast. Her name is Shelley Moore, and she is an inclusion researcher at UBC. I will also be uh, putting some links to some of her content in the uh, description of the podcast here. And yeah, um, God, what an awesome conversation. Like, my heart is so full, and I am so grateful, and wow. So I guess a question that I have for you, listener, is if you were to lose your hearing suddenly, what do you think are the sounds that you would miss the most? Find the uh, Instagram post um, at my Instagram, at Lucatronosaurus Rex, and go to the comments and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And to Brambling, just know I love the sound of your voice, and that would definitely be one thing I would miss a whole lot if I were to lose my hearing. But also... I love you. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Lucatronosaurus Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you.